I feel you, man. I feel you. But uh, thank you for uh, jumping on the podcast, man. It's a it's a new little thing I'm doing, but uh, I think it's pretty good. You get to hear different people's stories and stuff. I was able to catch uh, B-Rob and then have uh, Reggie as well as uh, I got Sharif on here as well. Uh, Sharif? What? Yeah, yeah I, I talked to him. Uh, I talked to him, what, I think it was Friday, and I we was able to talk about like the banking industry, so that was pretty cool. And then also having uh, Niger jump on as well with him being out there in California. Yeah, because yeah, Niger looks like he's doing a lot of stuff, man. Man, Niger just getting it, ain't he? Yeah. Hey, you gotta hustle any way you can sometimes, for real, for real. Hey, yo, and it's it's a different world out here now, so you know the ones who try, the ones who make it. You know, trust me, that adulting stuff sucks, bro. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I've just started, but um. But yeah, I, I was going to send you those questions, but then I was like, you know what? Let's go ahead and get it off the top of the dome. Um, That's fine. You're not so. heard that way anyway. <laughs> 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 All right, so I'm going to go ahead and begin with this. All right, you guys, welcome to the On My Way podcast with your boy Pernell Bills. And I got another special guest with me today. He's more of a UWF mentor. Uh, he's a motivational speaker nationwide. And uh, he's he's built... He's built uh, a different form of empire, you can say, right? He's uh, he's a public speaker as well as he shows so much confidence and he breathes life into different people. <laughs> what's up? What's up? What's up? Hey, I'm about to introduce you guys to my dog, Kali Richardson. Hello, hello, hello. First of all, thank you for that bomb introduction right? make you bigger than what I am I appreciate that <laughs> hey man people don't know man you you got you got a bigger impact on a lot of a lot of individuals bro that's not just you know just uh an alpha or things like that you got a lot of big influences on the guys that I hang out with every single day so um I know personally what the impact that you have so you know I feel like it's only right that I give the other people who are listening to this podcast the ability to hear your words and understand where you come from, the mindset that you guys, that you have. And so, um, so the first thing first, man, how did you get into, for one, getting from being a soccer player to being kind of like a motivational speaker, but not knowing that you was a motivational speaker? Because you're motivating people back in Collegiate 100 days, and now you're doing it nationwide. How did that begin? Yeah, man, it was, it's kind of weird. So originally, I've always kind of been a more or less one-track mind kind of person. And so when I played soccer, that's really all I cared about. Um, but really what kind of, I think if I had to pick a defining moment to make it as, like not overcomplicated, I was just try. That's really what it came down to. Um, when I was you know seeking out for seeking my paternity and whatnot, somebody basically told me I was inadequate. And, I was, and you know how I, how I am when it comes to <laughs> someone trying me, and I was like, oh, where? <laughs> Heck, we'll see. So from that point, I took a lot more energy from just, you know, training, playing ball, two-a-days, national team, that type of stuff, and started investing more and being becoming more disciplined and more consistent in my studies. And that was, like, one of the first times I realized, like, the schoolboy thing I can really do. Before, I just kind of did what I needed to do to play ball or, do, or get the grades I needed to get to – it to the next level. It wasn't like a consistent thing. Um, so once I started doing that, in, in, in efforts of chasing this, this attorney idea, I realized I can do scholarship, and which means I also had to learn leadership skills. That, and at the time, I didn't think soccer gave me that many skills, really. 
outside of like a team aspect. So I, I had great mentors like Dr. Brian Turner, now Dr. Jeff Benjamin, um, Dominique Jordan, Michael Rowland, Dr. Joseph White, God bless his soul, um, and other other great brothers, uh, Mr. Kishore Redu, and other people like that, Dean, uh, Dean Mitchell at University of South Alabama, who really invested into me very hardcore critical points that forced me to think more, forced me to question myself more, and kind of built the foundation of my own philosophy of leadership, which is basically you have to be the example you want to see. So I can't get on to anybody about doing anything if I don't do it myself first. And so as I went from soccer to Collegiate 100, right, the first organization I really joined when I was at UWF, and learning leadership underneath Cameron White, um, and figuring out, you know, how can I get those around me to go towards a goal, it ended up in me becoming the president of the 100 when we first brought it back. And that led to a second term. And then that developed into more leadership roles. And it just kind of became a cascade effect of leadership. And I realized that I got more satisfaction and it meant more to me to be a leader and to help my brothers and my sisters in situations where we needed guidance than just picking a ball. Even though I was good at both, that, that's kind of what made the, the turning point for me. Does so you I understand you're from the uh the Virgin Islands, right? But yeah. you know, you came up in Jacksonville somewhat. Does because the, the idea of Jacksonville, the reason why I say that is because a lot of the guys I've had on here, um, well, two so far, you're the third, and then I have another guest who's coming on tomorrow, and he's from Jacksonville. And uh, the, the understanding of when we came up was you play sports to get out of your situation. If you're a, if you're a young black yeah. man, you play sports to get out of your situation. I don't care what sport it is. You play it and you dominate and you do what you got to do to get out, to go to your next level. And education, I'm, be, I'm like, just being real, is seen as a maybe secondhand uh, option you can go with. And, you know, the middle schools that we went to, I, you know, I'm, I went to JD, which I think is better than Jeb Stewart. But, uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but the middle wow. schools that we went to, you can say that students made it seem like it was a joke to be smart and even going to high school level, they made it seem like, why are you trying in education wise? Does that play, does that play a big part in the mentality that you had coming into school and going into uh, becoming a leader? Does that play any type of role? Did that ever play a role? Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely played a role. Cause like you said, man, you all first of all, and third, it comes out to a point to where like, I, I basically grew up in an environment like you where, we had to fight to survive. And so survival was just another day, another day, another day of the block. And rather, rather it was when I was in the islands or when I was back and forth here, you know, here in America, in Duval County, I was just worried about getting out. And instead of being a student athlete, I was an athletic student. You feel me? Like I, like I, was, in honor, I was in honor classes in middle school, but because I had the glasses and, you know, the braids and I was small, catching the rest of me a lot. And so I was a AB honor roll student that was in Bannerman to the fighting. So I mean, for those of you who don't know, Bannerman's an alternative school. You send the kids who got basically kicked out. And it ended in the result of me getting so many fights to a point to where I basically was kicked out of Duval County School going into high school because of my situation, because of the environment where it's not cool to be smart. I couldn't be 
you know, a, a B student and be a star athlete, which which I think is now as an adult it's crazy. But back then I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just trying to make it to the next, you know, the next stage. And so I think when you take that survival kind of attitude and are able to get into a college setting, a collegiate setting beyond high school, it makes you some of the best leaders. I've ever, you know, had the, the honor of working with, knowing and or seeing, because you have a natural fire inside you where there is no there isn't a no. Right? There isn't like Tupac said, if I'm hungry and the door is locked, you like, man, dude, there's food behind and I'm knocking. And you don't want to open it, I'm just kicking it in. Like it's like tenacity is bred into you because if you say no in the streets, you say no to a hard environment, you're not gonna make it. So it's learning how to take that environment that shapes you. And master in the sense that when you go to a new environment, you can shape the environment to fit you. So, with honestly, without the, the hardships of, of being a Virgin Islands or the hardships of being a new ball, uh, being small naturally, and so forth, I can't sit here and say I'd be the same confident, strong leader that I believe I am because of those things. Because when I got tried, the little black kid in my chest stood up was like, oh, word, that. And I took that attitude or that anger towards that statement that they're you know, lashing out and fighting, channeling it into my academics, channeling it into like my leadership. And that's why a lot of people who have worked with me know that when it comes down to business or leadership, when we say we're to do something, I'm like super hardcore with it. Because it's not a game at that point. It's hard for me to pull out of that survival approach. I'm getting better now. I've got a little soft over years, but do ball and that's probably actually has shaped me and, and so when it became to speaking, like I understand you are in the medical field, but where did the becoming a public speaker like how did that how did that start? You know, I understand C one hundred, but how did that you know that first jump out there like hey I may be able to be a public speaker and motivate this this next generation? Um, honestly, again, just like everything else in my life, it's kind of it was kind of somebody believed in me and pushed me try it. So originally, first of all, first and foremost, I hate public speaking. It's really weird. Like, I, like I, I hate public speaking. And like when I used to do to the 100, I used to be nervous out out the wazoo. Like I was just super nervous all the time. But when I was, you know, back forth in Jack's middle school, high school, I did a lot of poetry. Like, like a, I was an undercover poet. No one knew I was a poet. Before Instagram was a thing. I was just going to like random open mics and dropping bars because it helped me uh, just survive, just kind of get my, my anger out. And so I kind of took that mentality and say, you know, no one knows what I'm going to say but me. I did that in the poetry and applied to speaking. And so from going through college, 100, Alpha, SGA, all these different leadership roles, and more or less without knowing and crafting my style of speech, when I was getting ready to graduate, one of my profiles, uh, Mr. Harrison Peters, he is actually the superintendent of schools in Hillsborough County, Tampa. And he's an education consultant and an education speaker. And he was saying, yo, you can do this. And I was like, no, I don't think so, big guy. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> and so basically he, uh, I know, right? So basically he pulled all this space together. I was like, look, we'll pay for your first year, your LLC. Try it. If you don't like it, don't worry about it. You didn't lose any money. You know, fresh out of school and graduating, you broke, right? So I was like, oh, okay, you know, you can pay for it, I'll try it, why not? <laughs> it's not coming and out of so, my pocket, right? <laughs> exactly, right? So did that and realized 
because of my connections, I got a couple of opportunities right off, right off that. And actually, Reggie, who was on your podcast, was able to take some pictures for me for one of my engagements on racial reconciliation in Pittsburgh, Florida. Um, and I realized there's not much different what I did, what we do on campus. It's not much different from panels, it's not much different from workshops. When we had the uh, men of color retreat, it's not that much different from the things we're already doing as undergraduates. And so I just took that mentality and I use it now, whatever I was to wherever I was speaking to, to the end of the day, it may be the same information they already know, but they haven't had it presented in the way that I presented it. But I always remember, no matter if we walk with case, we don't move the comments. And in medicine, even though I may know all these medical terms, and I know what they mean, patients know. Now to translate what that may mean to them in an understandable manner. So I think the same bit of leadership information that complex psychological information and translated to my audience lets them know, hey, it's a simple fix to your problem. This is what it is. And just for one more point, I'm, I'm more of a public speaker than a motivational speaker. And I think of, of course, if, if I can motivate people, it's great. But I think a motivational speaker is more like Eric Thomas mm. or like uh, our friend Abe, right? Like they motivate people. That's, 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 what they, that's their goal. My goal is to motivate you. If I motivate you, that's what's up. Like, that's a bonus. It's more like Coach Carter for me. You need to be conditioned, i.e. motivated, right? You need to be conditioned to a certain point so I can train you. So you go talk to, you go listen to ET, you go talk to Abe, you get motivated, then you come see me, and I'm going to be a public speaker. I'm going to train you on how to do what it is you want to do to get to the goals you want to get to. It's like going back to soccer where you have to, you have to work out and, and do what you need to do so you can actually be ready for the game. Yep, and just like anything else, um, and I even quote, he, he said it, right? Um, well, he was quoting somebody else. Basically, he said, you know, all men are created equal. Some work harder and appreciate. So whenever I'm crafting these, these engagements, I'm looking at my audience. I'm looking at what, what goal they want to, what goal they're achieving, and what techniques, simple techniques that you take away. So every time I, I talk to you, you're going to get my thoughts on the idea, I'm going to try to shed a reflective piece on you, and then I'm going to give you some takeaways that you can take away. If you did nothing else, if you completely ignored me the whole time, you could be at least take away one thing right then, one tool, take back to your business, take back to your university, take back to your organization, and utilize it and get an idea of what direction you need to go. So the... I see on your website is KylieRidgerson.com, but it is actually the, was it Alchemist Solutions? Did I say it right? Yeah, so the, the company itself is Alchemic Solutions. Mm. Um, so it came, it came behind the idea of alchemy itself was a, a science in the Middle Ages where they would transmute, they would change one element to something else. So they had a, they basically had a, um, the idea that the optimal goal is to change coal into gold so they can have more currency in the country. Um, since gold backs the dollar. The science came out being a pseudoscience, which is now basically low-key chemistry. And so with that idea, I always was fascinated by the idea of alchemy. Like, I can play chess, but I love the idea of chess. And so the point of the company, post it just a facet. Right. I hope to consult, which I do do more pro bono work, but eventually as I can see getting these degrees to consult for, is to take whatever the problem is and change it, transmute it into a solution. So Kylie Richardson is right, a name that I know is branded my name itself. So the website is 
company, like how he speaks, but he's under the company. And the goal is to not only be speaking, not only be consulting, but taking and working with other people who have good ideas, but may not have the money, or have good work ethic, but may not have the resources, and create something that, one, not only keeps our dollar black, but also that this people say people invest in me and give them the opportunity to actually grow. Like in Jacksonville, I'm helping uh, re- basically revamp a barbershop on the west side to make it basically more modern so we can get more people in the barbershop, make it more like the movie the barbershop where people can go, get their hair done, get tape up, get cleaned up, and have those conversations that we all grew up having in barbershops. Without yeah. having to worry about bad cuts or get more violence. <laughs> You're right, because the barbershop is... Is a little different than what it used to be, you know, because back in the day when we were young, we were, we were hear all these different stories, and you know, it's kind of like the barber was your, was your, uh, I wouldn't say like he was your mentor, but he was kind of like your the your therapist, kind of. <laughs> if you yeah. had if you had something wrong, yeah. you, you talk to him, and he give you he give you the Bible verse, he give you the street verse, he give you the father verse, he give you every single thing that you need just to get to have a reference to go off of, and you choose which one you want to use. But he's going to first say the Bible. I, I ain't never seen or uh, never heard uh, a barber not speak with the Bible, especially an older, especially an older barber. But my, uh, when, it, when it comes to, to, to that e- e- exact point, when it comes to, you know, helping the, the next generation and helping these businesses, how do you see the next generation of uh, black males? I understand that you... you that's one of your passions is to is to help black males become stronger, become better men. How how do you how do you see the next generation getting to that point? Because I've seen a difference in you know I feel like there's a lot more work being put in by the younger group back you know the the newer generation they're putting a lot of work in, but they have a lot more questions than we did, and they're they're able to ask those questions because when we we're young we couldn't ask certain questions because it was kind of like stay in a child's place. But now it's like, if you have a question, ask it, and we will try to give you the answer. So how do you feel about the next generation of young black men in America? I, I feel two ways. Um, the first way is a bit crude, honestly. I honestly feel like they're soft. Since I work with them all the time, I just feel like they're really soft, really sensitive. Um, and that may be more the street side of me talking, which means they're more in tune with their emotions, which is good. But also, like, when we grew up, there was no room for softness. You know, so you just had a natural, like, grit and a natural tenacity about you to handle whatever the situation was. So it's good and bad. It's good that they're emotionally in tune, but it's also kind of bad because they're, they're more inclined to quit. They're more inclined to give up before even going through any trial, right? And, you, and yet you know, skill is only hardened by fire. So if you are going through trials, tribulations, and struggles, you really aren't learning anything. You're not failing, you're not learning. You're not, you know, getting beat up a little bit in the process of, of growth. You're not really going to see anything. But also, on the other side of that, I am hopeful because I work with a, I run a mentoring program here in Orlando called Young Man Distinction. And their grades are generally better. They're, unlike when we went to school, you know, there's only sports or bands. Now they have student organizations. When they're, when they're in school, they can build their leadership portfolio. They're getting exposed to a couple of things. We didn't even know what, what it was until we got to college. We get to experience that in high school. So 
I feel like there, there's more opportunity for the next generation of, of young men to become stronger. But I think the deciding factor is going to be if they have the heart to get there. Like a lot of people can train and say they want to be a fighter until they get punched in the face and realize it's not what you thought it was. Like everybody got a game plan to get punched in the face. So this, I'm a little on the fence about it, but I think that with proper training, proper consistent mentoring and resources being allocated to those young men, that they can, if not change the world, hopefully inspire the generation after them to change. So you're still pursuing your doctor's degree, right? Yes. Right now, I am a master's uh, in public health candidate at UWF still, a graduate assistant, a research assistant, um, and I will be graduating in May with my master's with graduate certificate in emergency management and infection control, which basically means, long story short, uh, I can work like the CDC, FEMA, if like The Walking Dead or like a strain ever happens, I got you, right? This is what we're going to do. Um, but I have applied for my doctorate degree, and I'm actually waiting now to hear back from them to see if that's a viable option. And if not, I'll just, you know, stack this bread and work the plan to find another way to call myself Dr. French. Do you view that uh, going to college, you know, nowadays you have an option, you know, multiple, like you said, a little more options to choose from, uh, rather going to school or not going to school. But would you... How do you feel about college? Do you think it was probably one of the best decisions of your life, or was, was it like, I probably could have did something else? For me, personally, I think that it's probably one of the better decisions in my life to be. Um, just because, not because of college itself. Because honestly, college is a place. Right? A lot of people go and different things come out. But for me, I think it was so beneficial because the people that I was able to meet, people I was influenced by and people invested in me is what made college for me great. Like a lot of people may say, you know, college is whatever, or they may say, you know, is whatever. But when we were there, when we were young, we were there, you know, the faculty and staff who were there is what made it who what, what made it good. The people that we went to school with is what made it good. But those experiences, those memories that I share with those people, the connections that I share with those people is what made college for me great. And in that growth process with those people and with those faculty and staff, I was able to develop and fine-tune myself as a man. So I, for me, I think it was, I, I feel like I couldn't have done anything. I thought like I could have went to the military or I could have did a trade, I could have been a serviceman and did all those things just because of my personality with my, my tenacity and how like almost obsessive I get. I feel like I would, whatever I would do, I would do great in eventually. But college was the right path for me. Now, for other people, to each his own. Everyone's not built for it. But I do think in the coming years, getting degrees is going to be a necessity for our younger generation. Because at the end of the day, no matter how strong your hustle is, how good your entrepreneurial ideas are, or how well your connections are, that little 40-cent sheet of paper solidifies and secures minimum pay wages. So if I fail at everything, my master's degree guarantees I make at least 60, 70 bands, worst case scenario. My doctorate secures in stone that I make 80, 90 grand, inevitably. So my degree is for my plan B. If my aspirations don't do what I want them to do, I can fall back on 80, 90 grand a year being called doctor. <laughs> Instead of putting all my eggs in, you feel me? Yeah. Instead of putting all my eggs in one basket, 
And if it falls through, then I have nothing. So my plan B is medicine. People often ask me, well, why do you do that? It doesn't make sense. Like, it's not meant to make sense, but it's meant to be successful. Things, I, I know that I have aspirations of doing many things, but if I'm a master of none, it doesn't do me any good. With my doctor plan B salary, I can fund my own business. I can fund my own scholarships. I can still impact my community. I can do things I want to do on my own time. Worst case scenario, but hopefully the things that I'm creating now, whenever I do make a doctor, generate enough income that they fund themselves. I can make passive income. And I can actually do more than I ever thought I could do in the first place. What would you What would you say to if you had to meet a, a young kid, right? The young colleague, right? And what would you tell him? Why? What would you speak life into to him to prepare him for the future, or kind of like give him the, just give him some type of some type of guidance? What would you tell the the young colleague? Well, I'm speaking to the younger me. First and foremost, I have to give myself hands. First and foremost, because uh, I don't I don't do well with uh, authority. Um, so I had to beat my own self up first <laughs> and let myself know that, hey, I am superior to you. Um, but after that's said and done, I will let them know that, and it's crazy you ask that because I'm actually putting together some uh, old poems into a book for a competition that I'm trying to uh, compete in in button poetry. And some of my old poems basically foreshadowed what I do now and foreshadowed the journey I took to get here. So I told him, yo, what you write, believe. What you think, accept. Just listen more. <laughs> so listen more, make more relationships, and don't be afraid to try. Because when I was younger, I didn't try too many things I did. I knew I wasn't good at. I was like, nah, it's dead. Like, I'm not going to embarrass myself. But trying more gave me the opportunity to see what else I was capable of. But I never would have tried leadership and I wouldn't know how good I was going to be at it. I was just going to stop play. And I wish I would have uh, invested a little bit more in the relationships I had in high school and probably a little bit more in college and not cared so singularly on leadership or, or cared so singularly on my goals. Because when I look back, all I kind of have are my goals. Luckily, I have you know some good friends that I've made over the years that I've been privileged to be close to and continue to be close to, but there's other issues I could have fostered in a better light that would have uh, probably had a, created a, a different experience for me in life overall. Hmm. Okay. And I like, how you, I like how you put it, you know, believe, you know, what you write down, you believe it, what, you know, just believe in yourself. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people who don't believe in themselves. They, they, they have great ideas, you know. They have that journal that they write in, but they don't, they don't see how they're able to get there, you know. Or they're like, this can't happen for me. This, is, this ain't me. And so they go, they go with plan B first before they check out plan A, right. And how important is, is family in, that, in, in your drive to, to, to success? Because I know a lot of kids... And a lot of friends who are held back because they're afraid of what their parents might think on their first decision, on their plan A, right? Because plan B is what most parents did back in the day, which was jump right into to work and see how that see how that worked out for them and, you know, live that comfortable life. But how important is it to have a family that's able to back you on your dreams and your aspirations? 
I think that the best I can put it is it's important to have family, but it's not the only thing. Now, my family situation may not be the best, and some people's family situations certainly aren't the best either. And so I say that to say this is that at the end of the day, if nobody else supported me, I would still get it done. You feel me? And so rather your family supports you or not, if it's your dreams, it's your life. At the end of the day, and you know me, I said this before, at the end of the day, I'm not a what if type of guy. So I don't mind going off, you know, it's the darkness by myself if that's the direction I need to go in to get to my goal. And which has made me successful and has, has allowed me to do a lot of things that a young age a lot of people haven't been able to do. And it will set me up for a very good future in the next, you know, year to three years where I'm going to be comfortable. Now I can open up more doors. But there's a line, I definitely think there's a line between having your family support you and having your family cripple you. Because I've seen, I mean, a lot of people who have made decisions to go back home or do whatever to help their family. In some scenarios, it worked out well for them. In other scenarios, it's crippled them. You cannot help anybody if you can't help yourself first. So even though I know I have family that honor to need me, younger siblings, I have a six six month year old younger sibling, bro. For real? You know I me? Mean? I have yes. Like I have a six month old younger sibling. It's wild. I still have like two other siblings and my birth father living basically in a trailer. Two sisters in Atlanta with my aunt. My little sister, Jackson I grew up with, has my niece who's about to be three in January. I basically help raise my niece. I can't help any of them as a broke college student. Can't. But as Dr. Rich, I got some options. So if that means I have to be out of touch, if that means I have to be away, if that means I can't share certain things with them at that time, it's a small sacrifice now so that when they do need me, I'm there and capable. So I think you have to reflect and see, not necessarily if your family supports you, but if, but if but does your family in your life assist you? People who support you still hold you back, right? You can have that girlfriend that you're with that is supportive, but cripples you, and you'll get to go out and do things that you want to do because you're afraid how she's gonna feel about it, or you're afraid of that reaction. Versus going out and learning and things you may learn at a conference or something of that nature. So for me, family's a case-by-case basis because you know your family my family isn't the best again feel me we got our own spew of issues like any other family but at the end of the day i know between one year and three i will be able to do more for my family once i'm done with school i can step back into that role instead of worrying about them now and being stressed all the way out and not being able to finish school Like that, I like that, I like that. So, uh, Kali, you got any other words you like to give the people listening to this podcast, man? Any any other tips or inspirational words or anything? What would you What would you like to send off with? Yeah, man. Actually, where's that? I actually just found an old quote that I wrote. Apparently, I think back in 09. I was doing some stuff today, and it says. Freedom is only limited to your imagination. And so understand that no matter what it is that people want to do, how they want to do it, it comes down to how you imagine it. 
the if I had to like generate a idea that would be the key to my success, it's that in my head, as my mother says, you're a king, so watch, walk as such. So in my head, I wear a crown. In my head, I'm at the top of the hill where the light is, chilling, right, having a good life. At the top of the hill, I am that superhero I grew up wanting to be in my head, right? So I am that Goku, right? So like in my head, that's that's what it is. It sounds silly, but imagining or imitation is the first form of mastery. So if I don't practice belief, I don't practice tenacity, I don't practice grit, I don't imagine myself doing the impossible, how am I able to do what is possible or what is not? You feel me? But the only people who can't achieve those goals say something's impossible. To me, it's just a challenge. Say less, give me time, it'll be done. So take whatever it is your belief is and take whatever it is in your heart and holistically reflect, think about, and accept whatever it is that you want to do and go after it. There's going to be a lot of ups and way more downs. But understand, like anything else, it's like a wave and you just got to ride it. And in that, you'll, you'll learn that as you go through chasing your dreams and chasing this, imag- this image in your head or using your imagination, you get more creative in mastering different skills. And eventually, as you come out the other side, after you've gone through fire, after you've gone through trials and tribulations and sacrifices and suffering, that heavy is the head that wears the crown. You feel me? And I'll leave you with this, with this one last thing. I'm working on a thing called uh, Project Atlas. All tremendous leaders are servants. Right. And so in my company, a lot of workshops that I do, the idea is that Atlas, the guy who led the Titans and lost to the Greek god Zeus in, in that battle, his punishment was to hold up the sky. Right. And so like leadership, that burden of leadership, that burden of development, that burden of growth is always that heavy. But you always have to hold it up. If you ever get tired and set it down, you'll never achieve the things that you want to achieve. And as your life being your, your greatest work, as the architect of that greatest work, as you evolve, so does your work. But if you can't, like, like we were talking about athletics in the beginning, if you can't survive preseason, if you can't take the heat in the weight room, if you can't take you know, the bumps and bruises that come along with training, you'll never be a great athlete. If you can't take the hours in the library, you'll never be a great scholar. If you can have the imagination, you'll never be creative. So even though the heavy, heavy head that wears the crown you have to be like Atlas and hold it up. The burden is always heavy and you can't put it down. Because those who put it down, like E.T. says, everybody wants to go in beast mode until it's time to do what beast do. Everyone's not meant to be a leader. Everyone's not meant to be a follower. But the ones who hold the burden up, they know what it feels like. They know what sacrifices. And those who want to protect them around them, if you can't do it, you may want to learn quickly. At the end of the day, there's only oh so much room for those at the top, and everybody can do it. Everybody has to change 24 hours, and everyone is created equal. Like I said before in that in that previous quote, but some work harder in preseason, some work harder in their 24 hours than others, and that's the only thing that makes a difference. I'm up every day at five six o'clock in the morning, seven days a week, three or six five days a year, since what October 18, 2011. That's how I get so much done. But catch the sleep before class. I hit the gym. I'm grinding. By the time they wake up, I don't put in at least four hours into my day. So plan ahead, hold up the burden, and believe. And you too will be there.
Now, now that's a finish. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a. <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be on the sound bite for real. Okay. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. I, hey, all right. I, I haven't heard that one. Heard 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 of impact that way in a little minute. Thought I was listening to ET for a second. You know. <laughs> Hey, I, I feel you, bro. So, once again, Kali, I'd like to thank you for jumping on to the On My Way podcast with me, man, and, and telling us your journey, your, your ideas, your vision, and giving some of the listeners some motivation to move forward and, and go after their, their dreams and follow their, their aspirations. And, you know, at the, the, at the end of the day, nobody wants to have regrets, Right, I lo- I watched this uh, this uh, video on YouTube, right, and it was a guy who was speaking, and his his whole philosophy was, at the end of the day, when you know you go to the other side, you know you don't you talk to God, right, and he has that list of stuff that you know a checklist, right, and on that checklist is you know the stuff that he wants you to, to accomplish, right, and he said his entire goal. And living is that once you get up there, he's he's accomplished so much that he's he's outdone the checklist. And as he's living his life, God is writing more stuff down because he's he's outdoing the checklist. He's 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 killing life. He's he's murdering life. And so that that's his entire drive. His entire motivation is that when God sees me, he's like, well done. And you overachieve. Good job. Yeah, like. Like, I, I, I can't agree to that because, like, oftentimes when we were undergrads, there's a lot of things that I did that I often wondered, like, did I sacrifice too much? Did I do, did I go too hard? Like, is it really worth it? Um, you know, and at the time, of course, I didn't share with anybody because, you know, you got to kind of be a strong leader in particular instances. But those are thoughts I always had, like, going through, like, yo, like, why? Like, why? Like, I'm not seeing any results. And it wasn't until after, I, after we graduated and I was at one of my pros' house over the summer, and uh, me and him just talking over breakfast, and we make it a, a tradition in our chapter that every time we go to Tampa and we leave our pros' house, we basically have breakfast with him um, at his house. And I'm looking over, and I'm looking at my Neos. I'm looking at my Neos' Neos. I'm looking at, you know, people who are in the 100 now, UWS men, uh, people who get can citations, people in particular leadership roles that didn't exist before. And I'm looking at all these things happening and all these things that people are experiencing and they're loving and they're enjoying. And in that moment, in that morning, I realized, yo, if I didn't sacrifice everything I sacrificed, these opportunities wouldn't have even existed for them to enjoy in the first place. So overachieving the checklist definitely works out. The bill has always comes paid due. But sometimes we don't. We just don't get to get the change. You feel me? I feel you, man. Comes, it has to be paid. We just don't get to see the change. And so that's when I realized that a lot of people are enjoying the benefits that you, I, Reggie, and a lot of people um, that we've probably interacted with or worked with have left behind. And rather people know it or not, it's our sacrifice, our blood, sweat, tears, and, our, and the burden we hold up for them, even now, that gives them the grace and opportunity to play in the ring without getting wet because we're holding the umbrella for it. So I can understand that. And, you know, uh, you saying that, 
I just now try, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, getting to the end. But with you saying that, man, it's kind of like I, I, my girl, she, you know, she's still at UWF. She graduated soon. And she told me, she was like, some people don't even believe that she was in C100. I was like, what you mean? She was like, there's like a lot of people who are here who was like, oh, he wasn't in C100. And then they're like a juice squad, which, you know, I remember when that first started in my freaking dorm room. And, you know, she was like, yeah, a girl told me, she was like, Jawan started juice squad. He's the one over. I'm just like, he's not even on the LLC name. <laughs> hey, hey, you see that, you see that, that business right there, that LLC thing, that's what runs it. Yeah, man, we, we, we're moving into that, into that realm, and it's just like, dog, like, the recognition, right? you, you, you do it for the, like, you do it because you want eventually to get to that point where you have that, that honor of people being like, you did it, but at the same time, there's a lot of big known people, big name people that we don't know has done a lot. And they're reaping the rewards, right? But their name's not in the in the limelight, right? Their name's not, you know, plastered in the stars. And they're not. Yeah, thing like this, though, that's 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 the trap of of minority minority fandom. Like that's that's the trap of like stardom in a sense, right? Like back in the day, everyone wanted to fight to be the king, but no one wanted to be the king's advisor. You forget, but the king get knocked out on several occasions, but the advisor always stays. So. I said, I say this is that. In your example, rather they remember you start your squad or not, as long as they come to the parties, you get paid. <laughs> all people in history, all the time. Up, all, up, all the people who are in history that may not have been mentioned, like the bike men that created the air condition, how many people use AC on a daily basis? So you, I've learned that in, in leadership or in, in anything really that you create, if you seek it for fame you'll never get to the to the peaks you need to be because you'll be too busy worried about being in the spotlight. But if you do what you need to do, you'll always be remembered in your works. There's many things and many people that we that we do, that we borrow, that we copy things from, and we may never know their names, but we use their skills. And in essence, they live through those assets. Like the organizations, Juice Squad, your podcast, and all the other things you've personally been involved in, if you were to if you were to expire, you know, hundred years from now, those things are still going. You still live through your works. Your name is still on the LLC, like you say, right? So at the end of the day, as long as there's documentation to prove that you were there, that's all that matters, big guy. You're right, and uh, we're gonna come to a close because if, if we continue, man, you're gonna keep giving out so much inspiration that. You know, people are never going to drop the podcast. I mean, I look at the end of the day. I would love them to constantly be on the podcast, but you know, we got you got to head out of here because I got work in the morning too. <laughs> oh, same, same thing. Well, let me tell uh, everybody who's listening. You know, please go through and, and check out my website, KaliRichardson.com. That's K-A-L-I Richardson.com. Follow me on Instagram, Kali the Poet. Um, if you can't reach me, reach Pernell, reach anybody that I'm connected to, or you can find the path to me. My line is always on. All right, that's what I'm talking about. And you listen to your On My Way podcast with your boy, Pernell Bills. And thank you, Kali Richardson, for stepping up and jumping onto the podcast and, and building some life into some people. Anytime, big guy. I appreciate you for the opportunity. No problem, bro. And we out. <laughs>